Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to introduce Dan Shulman, who is the voice of the Toronto Blue Jays on Sportsnet. Thanks so much, Dan, for for taking the time and coming. Should I call you Danny? I know I know people, close friends of yours, call you Danny, so <laughs> I, I can call you Danny as well if, if that uh, works. I'm good with either. On TV, I'm Dan. Like uh, Nobody says, hey, here's Danny Shulman, but uh, yeah, people do call me Danny a lot in my personal life, and that's totally fine, whichever is more comfortable for you. Okay, well, I'll, I'll go with Dan because uh, that's... Uh, that's your uh, your sports then and, and and kind of your professional name. But thanks so much again for doing this and, and taking the time. I want to ask a little about your your career. And I know you you have an interesting kind of unconventional start to, to your career. You were at Western and and you're a math major. Maybe just tell us a little bit about how you you got started in, in the industry and maybe a little bit about your journey to where you are today. Yeah, so probably like you and and everybody else watching your podcast, I was a huge sports fan as a kid, but uh, I never had any thoughts of getting into sports as a career. It just wasn't what you thought about back then. I think it's a lot more common now for people to think that way. But like you said, I was a math kid. Um, I took every math course I could take, and uh, that was what I cared about most in school. And when I went to Western, uh, I was a math major, more specifically uh, statistics and actuarial science. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, but on the first day of what we called Frosh Week, first week, first year, um, you know, my parents had always kind of said to my sisters and me, don't just go to school, get involved, like get in a, get in a club, get in a program, extracurriculars, whatever. So I wanted to write for the Western Gazette, which was a terrific, and I'm sure still is, a terrific university newspaper. So first day, I leave my dorm at Saugeen, and I go over to the um, to the the main building, and there's like 200 people in line to volunteer for the Western Gazette. <laughs> so I said, well, I don't think I was 18 years old. I said, I don't think I have the patience to stand in this line. Started walking back towards my dorm and walked past a door that said Radio Western. Didn't know what it was. Knocked on the door. Somebody said, Kim, come in. I said, is this the campus radio station? And they said, yeah. And I said, do you do sports? And they said, yep. And I said, do you need volunteers? And they said, yep. <laughs> and that's how it started. And, and I did it just for fun. I, I never, ever, ever at Western thought about this being a career. Um, in fact, I didn't even uh, volunteer or, or do anything at the radio station my fourth year because my last year, because I was concentrating so much on my, on my studies and actuarial exams you have to write. It wasn't until after I started, after I graduated and started working as an actuary where I said, I'm not sure this is for me. And whatever mm -hmm. I do, I've got to do it for the next 40 years. So maybe I should rethink this. And then I started sending out tapes from CHRW, which was the campus radio station at Western, and got a part-time weekend job at CKBB in Barrie. And wow. that's kind of how it started. So yeah, it is a little bit unconventional. And and maybe tell us a little bit about how you, you got to ESPN. And I know you did the 94 world championships and then you got the the play-by-play -play gig at, with the jays just maybe tell us a bit uh, like how that that was for you and how kind of i think it was very quick for you how it all kind of came together yeah it kind of was so that's a lot of different things i'm going to try not to ramble on no, too no. much here but, <laughs> uh, you know but uh but you asked so i'll answer so so i worked at barry for about a year and a half in barry for about a year and a half and then i got a job at uh what is now the fan but it was still then known as CJCL 1430. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even on 590 yet, and it wasn't all sports yet. Uh, started working there, did some weekends, did some evenings. They started going more and more sports. They needed people. 
Um, I was there, I was young, and I started getting more opportunities. Uh, I went from being a sportscaster to a talk show host, that sort of thing. Um, and by 19, well, there, there's, a, there's a few different stories, and, and you kind of touched on a few of them. So um, by 1993, I, I guess it was, I was kind of entrenched as a, as a talk show host there. Um, John Shannon uh, yep. was in charge of CTV's Olympic coverage at the time. CBC almost always, as you know, has the Olympics. But there were two times back in 92 and 94 where CTV had the Olympics, and they mm. just didn't have the stable of, of commentators that CBC did. So, boy, did that help me. Um, I had done, like at Western, I had done basketball, a lot of basketball, a little football, a little hockey. But, like, nobody had ever heard those tapes. I don't think I ever sent those tapes to anybody. <laughs> but by 1993, I guess I was kind of fairly well known as a talk show host in Toronto. But that's about it. But John Shannon said to me, would you like to go to the Olympics in Norway and do hockey? And would you like to do the World Championship of Basketball in August in Toronto? That was uh, Dream Team 2 was in Toronto, the World Championship. I mean, what an opportunity. Like, yeah. unbelievable opportunity. Yeah. So um, John Shannon hired me to go to the Olympics. Uh, I did hockey. I was the B guy. Don Chevrier did all the Canada games. I did all the non-Canada games. And, and nobody but, like, two friends and three relatives <laughs> – remembers me doing it and I have no proof that I did it other than I've got like a plaque from Lillehammer up there but there's no <laughs> tapes or anything like that but an incredible experience um and then uh all right so we'll fast forward a little bit here so you know I come back I'm working at the fan having had these two wonderful experiences um and then the Blue Jay job comes up uh Jim Hewson who had been doing the Blue Jays yep. and as you know did Hockey Night in Canada so well for so many years he decided he wanted to step back from baseball and just do hockey. So kind of after the 94 season, like November of 94, I don't even remember if somebody called me or I called somebody and I applied for the Blue Jay job uh, on TSN at the time. That was the job that Jim was doing and that was open. And I didn't get it. And I said, okay, fine. I'll go back and, you know, I'll just keep doing my radio thing. And then in February, like three months later, I got a phone call saying, are you still interested? So... I don't know who auditioned. I don't know what happened, but uh, thankfully the first or second or third choices they had didn't, uh, they, they couldn't work it out. And in like February of 95, I became the Blue Jay guy and it, and it did happen fast. So I graduated in 89. I was in Barrie in 90. I got a full-time job at CJCL in Toronto in 91. By 93, I was doing primetime sports, the afternoon drive show that Bob McCown, of course, did for yeah. so many years. And then came the Olympics and uh, and all that. So I start doing the Blue Jays in 95 with Buck Martinez. Um, Buck, at the time, was also an ESPN announcer. He would do some ESPN games on nights when he wasn't doing Jays games. And one night I got a phone call in my hotel room in New York. The Blue Jays were playing there on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I had the Jays games on Tuesday and Thursday, but Wednesday was a different network, so I wasn't working. So I get back Tuesday night at like midnight, <laughs> and the the phone light is flashing in my hotel room. This is before cell phones. Yeah. And I check my message, and it's the exec, it's the um, coordinating producer for baseball at ESPN, who I don't know. Um, and he says, "We've had somebody cancel on us last second. Can you fly to Kansas City tomorrow and do an ESPN baseball game?" And I went, wow. "Whoa!" And I called him. And I guess um, I had done a little radio for them. I skipped that part of the story because I don't want to ramble on That's for too okay. long. 
And they knew me through Buck and they had guess heard me do some Jays games. And I filled in on one baseball game. Like it was, I think it was angels and Royals. And I, I thought I had a day off Wednesday. Instead, now I'm panicking, trying to prepare for angels and Royals, no internet, like no internet. Yeah. So how do you prepare when you don't have the internet? You don't till you get to the ballpark at three 30 in the afternoon, the next day. So I flew from New York to Kansas City, did a game that Wednesday night for ESPN, and then went back Thursday to do the Jays game in New York. And uh, Friday, I get a phone call from uh, a man named Dave Miller, who was the coordinating producer for college basketball at ESPN. And he said, hey, I saw you do a baseball game. Do you do any basketball? <laughs> and I said, well, I have. I did some in university, and I did the world championships up here that were in August. And he said, send me a tape. Now, back in those days, send me a tape meant send me a tape. Yeah. So when I got back to Toronto, I uh, I guess I had it on VHS or something, and <laughs> I had it copied, and I couriered it to him. Like, I don't know how anything got done back in those days, to be honest with you. And the next week, he called me, and he said, how would you like to do college basketball for ESPN? Wow. And that's how that's how it happened. So from, yeah, the early to mid-90s, it was kind of a crazy roller coaster. I mean, I was just, you know, 24, 26, 28 years old as all this stuff was happening, I, when I went to Barry, all I was hoping to do was get a job in Toronto because I'm from Toronto. Never thought I would do play by play. Never thought I would be on TV. Never thought I would go to the U.S. So very, very, very grateful. A lot of good lucks, good bounces, good timing, that sort of thing. Um, and that's kind of how it got going. And and with that, obviously, you, you've done a lot of, of college basketball and, and a lot of baseball, right? With Sunday night baseball, now doing the Jays and, and obviously doing yep. college basketball for ESPN. For you, what is the difference in maybe how you approach a, a basketball broadcast compared to a, a baseball broadcast? Maybe give us a little bit of an insight of, is there any real differences? What are the differences? Just give us a little bit of an insight. Yeah, the analogy I use is a baseball game is like walking on a treadmill and every now and again, it'll speed up and you'll do a sprint. But mostly you're walking. A basketball broadcast, you're sprinting the whole time. So they are very different. Um, and there have been some years where uh, I'm not doing it anymore. But up until this past year, I did the World Series for ESPN Radio for the last 12 years. Wow. So I might finish on November the 2nd or 3rd. And on November the 7th or 8th, I might be doing a, ba a basketball game somewhere on an aircraft carrier or Indianapolis or something like that. So... Um, they are very different. Baseball, I love both, but the rhythm uh, and pace of the two is extremely different. Baseball, obviously, you have more time to fill. Not as much with the pitch clock, and that's a good thing, but you have more time to fill. So you kind of need more research on a baseball game. Um, you need more stories. And you, you, you don't try to jam them all in, but you should have them just in case you need them. Basketball, especially a college basketball game, because it's a 40-minute game as opposed to NBA, which is 48, like you blink and it's halftime and, and you don't get anything in. You're just trying to keep up. So, you know, at, at the heart of it, they're the same. Who's playing? Uh, what are their stats? What are their characteristics? What is their importance to the team? What is their role in this game? You know, that that's the basics, right? Those are the building blocks of, of doing any broadcast. You got to be prepared. But, you know, if I tried to call a baseball game at my basketball pace, no. Everybody would turn off their TV because they would say like, dude, stop talking, let up already. And you can't call a basketball game at a baseball pace because people would be saying, tell me something. I don't know what's happening right now. So they're very, very, very different. But I, I love them both very much. Do you, uh, this is just a bit of a side. Do you ever get almost 
like you just finished baseball and then you go into a basketball and you're almost in that cadence and you have to like wake up and be like, okay, I need to go to a basketball or is it quite easy for you to kind of transition into, into, I mean, I'm used to it now. Um, I'm old, so I've been doing this almost 30 years. So I've had 29 seasons, (laughs) excuse me, of transitioning from uh, baseball to basketball and then basketball to baseball. But in, in all honesty, that first basketball game and then that first baseball game, whether it's spring training or regular season, it, it, I always go in a little bit nervous and it mm. is like riding a bike, like at halftime of the first game, I'm like, okay, I remember how to do this, but, yeah. but, but it is different, but this is very common for play-by-play announcers. There are very few play-by, I shouldn't say, there aren't that many play-by-play announcers who only do one sport. Um, you know, a yeah. lot of us do multiple sports. So um, it, it, it does take some getting used to, but after all these years, I, uh, I, I kind of hope I've got it figured out by now. And and for you, you you kind of alluded to just the pace in which you go, uh, in in terms of uh, kind of doing a baseball game versus a basketball game. But what what else are some of the keys in your minds to being a good play by play announcer? And and maybe what advice would you give to young play by play announcers uh, trying to come up in in the industry? Well, number one is be prepared. Like there's no substitute for hard work. Um, I always say to anybody, if you are trying to get into this business to be rich and famous, don't do it. That's not if you want to get into this business because you love sports and you're willing to work hard and do all kinds of stuff and crazy hours and crazy places that, you you know, if that's the kind of life you want, do it. But there are no guarantees. Um, you know, as you may know, my son is starting out yeah. right now and he and I have many, many, many conversations. And I played the what if game with him. What if you're what if you only get here? What if this is the sport they offer you? That kind of stuff. And he said, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. And, and so th- those are the right answers. So, but you got to be prepared to do all kinds of stuff that maybe isn't quite what you dreamt of doing when you, yeah. you got into the business. Um, so one, be flexible, adaptable, be prepared. Uh, number two, I would say is understand it's not all about you. And by you, I mean the play-by-play announcer. It's a team game. There's an analyst, yeah. there's a reporter, There are camera people, there's a producer, a director, an audio person, a statistician, replay people, all of that. They all matter. They're all important. Um, You know, put it in a in a hockey term. Would you rather score a hat trick and lose or would you rather set up three goals and win? I'd rather set up three goals and win. Uh, I'll take the assist over the goal 99 percent of the time. So, um, you know, it it, is some play by play announcers like it, like every every uh you know, every, every, uh, walk of life. Some people have big egos, some people have small egos, whatever, but be a good teammate. Understand that everybody is working as hard as you are. Some of them are working harder than you are to make that show go on the air. So involve everybody, learn their names or free, understand what everybody does with, you know, as best you can. There are a lot of people putting a broadcast on the air. Um, but, uh, you know, make it about the, the game you're covering and make it about, your team, the broadcast team, don't just make it about yourself. I always wonder with with play by play announcers and, and and color analysts, how how for you, Dan, uh, how do you develop those relationships and really the chemistry to to be a good duo? Like I'm thinking of you and Jay Billis, uh, you and Buck Martinez. Maybe are those mm-hmm. how much of that is just your off air chemistry and friendship, and how much is that just worked? work uh kind of work chemistry or kind of putting in the hours to kind of become natural yeah. and free-flowing between the two of you it can be a combination um so for example the first game i did with buck was nine whatever april of 95 and we barely knew each other 
like literally barely knew each other. I had auditioned with him. That audition I told you about where I didn't get the job was with Buck. Mm -hmm. And I might have met him two other times or might have interviewed him on the fan a couple of times, or CJCL a couple of times. But he and I, for what I remember what he said to me. Uh, uh, so again, he'd been doing this for a number of years and I was 28 years old. And he said to me, if we can make this sound like two guys sitting at a bar watching a baseball game, we'll do okay. Oh. And I, obviously I remember that all these years later. And he and I... I think, and I think he thinks too, for whatever reason, we just developed this instant chemistry on the air. Now, we spent a lot of time together. We did 80 games a year yeah. for six years together. Um, and that's a lot of airplanes, and a lot of hotels, and a lot of dinners on the off day, and a lot of, do you want to grab a beer after the game? You know, that's that kind of thing. But above and beyond all that, we, I think we just got lucky that we had an on-air chemistry. It, I, I bet you it was halfway through our first season together. And we've talked about this. Hmm. He could read my mind and I could read his. Sometimes wow. something will happen on the field and we might be looking at the field or we might be looking at our monitor. And he and I will look at each other and we don't need to say anything because we're on the air. We can't speak to each other secretly without it going on the air. <laughs> but we just look at each other. And it's an understanding. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. Do you want to talk about it or do it? Like, it's just, we have this like ability wow. um, to, to know what each other is thinking. And then we didn't work together from 2001 until 2016. Like for 15 years, we didn't work together at all until I came back. And it kind of picked up where it left off, I think, anyway. So I hope it sounds that way. So sometimes you just have that natural chemistry with somebody like uh, Dick Vitale or Jay Billis. Um, I don't think I had quite that initial, you know, mm -hmm. connection in terms of knowing what to, I was very inexperienced too. Well, Jay and I kind of came up at the same time, but that's just reps. Like Dick Vitale is a unicorn. Um, yeah. you got to go through it to, to get it. <laughs> you know, that's, um, that's like, they, they took Danny and they threw him in the deep end. The second game I ever did at ESPN was with Dick Vitale. And wow. I was like, whoa. <laughs> and, you know, again, because it's 1995, I hadn't seen him a hundred times on TV. I knew who he was. I'd seen him a little bit, but how many games were on Canadian TV back there? Yeah. Um, that was a learning experience that took some getting used to. Um, Cause you know, Dick is who he is. That's what makes him wonderful, but it's also, uh, you know, a bit of a challenge sometimes, but until you figure it out. And with Jay, um, it was just reps, you know, doing games. And, you know, I know what Dick likes to talk about. I know what Jay likes to talk about. I know what Buck likes to talk about. I know what Joe Sitta likes to talk about. So there are many things that I would throw to Jay that I wouldn't throw to Dick and many things I would throw to Dick that I wouldn't throw mm. to Jay. So um, it's, again, I always make tired sports analogies when I'm asked these kinds of questions, but you know, say I'm the shortstop, where does the second baseman like to feed on the double play? Well, yeah. I'll ask him, I'll figure it out. Or, or I'm the center, where does the winger, you know, is he going to go wide of the D or cut into the middle? Like, where where does he want the pass? I, it's a little trial and error at the beginning, and then you figure it out. Uh, before we go to the Jays a little bit, I want to ask a little bit about just what would you say in, in your long career is maybe your most fondest memory? I know you love calling games at Allen Fieldhouse. Maybe just like what what kind of memory sticks out or memories stick out the most for you? Well, getting a chance to do the Blue Jays obviously is um, is wonderful. Uh, you know, there are 30 teams. So there are roughly 60 play-by-play -play announcers between TV and radio, maybe a little bit more than that. Some jobs are split. How many of those 60-ish play-by-play announcers are calling games for 
their hometown teams. I, I'm just lucky. You know, this is where I grew up. I was at the game on April 7th, 77, you oh, know, wow. that, that sort of thing. So yeah. that's kind of in like a special category of it's amazing. Um, going to Allen Fieldhouse where Kansas plays, as you said, is phenomenal. Doing Duke Carolina games. I think I've done about 27 or 28 oh Duke Carolina God. games wow. the last 13, 14 years, whatever it is. You know, I'm a Canadian statistics and actuarial science major. <laughs> How did this happen? You know, and, yeah. and uh, obviously I love basketball and I love college basketball. But again, like this is not what I thought I was going to be doing. This is way beyond what I thought I was going to be doing. So um, doing stuff like that. Uh, I did the final four twice for the international feed. It's always CBS or TBS that mm -hmm. has it. And I'm an ESPN guy. But back in like 2014 and 15, I think it was, I did the the uh, international feed. So I got a chance to call a couple of final fours and nobody in the U S saw it, but people in Canada and around the world saw it, other English speaking countries uh, for baseball. Um, well, I've done four no hitters, including the one, the blue Jays just got yeah. dealt the team, no hitter by the Tigers. So that's yeah. kind of fun. And then uh, some, many of my fondest memories are ESPN radio in October because um, again, uh, the network that I did baseball for for many, many years, ESPN, didn't have the playoffs other than a wild card game sometimes. So, but ESPN radio had and has the playoffs in its entirety. So I was lucky to do a, a million baseball playoff games, the World Series for the last 12 years. Nobody in Canada heard it, but I did the Joey Bautista, uh, they hope Joey, the Joey Bats, the Jose Bautista yeah. bat flip game for ESPN radio. Wow. Um, you know, called the Cubs winning a World Series. How many people can do that, uh, can say they've done that? Um, my first one was St. Louis and Texas. And game six of that series oh. is probably the craziest yep. baseball game that's been played. Um, so that was very fun. So th those are big memories. Uh, if, if I could um, uh, add one thing to it to cap it off, you know, now that I'm back full-time doing baseball with Sportsnet and we have the rights to do playoff games, which is very exciting. No other team can do that. Everybody else steps aside for Fox or TBS or whoever it is. But because we're in Canada, it's now been decided that it's okay. We're not infringing on anybody's contracts or ratings or anything. If I were ever able to call a Blue Jay World Series for millions of people across this country, that, that would be a nice uh, cherry on top of the sundae. I think I think you gave me a great transition because I want to ask you about the Blue Jays and obviously I think their goal going into the year would would be to make the World Series. They've had maybe an up and down season. What have you thought covered, you know, being at every game? What have you thought of their of their season so far, 50 and 41 at the All-Star break and and maybe what what do you expect uh, going into, you know, the the end of the season after the All-Star break? Can they make the playoffs? Where do you kind of see this team so far? It's funny because they're 50 and 41 in easily the toughest division of baseball, maybe the toughest division in the history of baseball. Yep. And yet it feels like they've underperformed a little bit. And I think a lot of people would agree with me. Judging by Twitter, a lot of people think they've underperformed by a lot. Um, and I think what people forget, and we've tried to tell the story, we had a graphic a couple of nights ago, uh, nobody in the American League had a record better than 24 and 20 over the last 44 games or something like that. Like Yankee fans are screaming, Astro fans are screaming, Angels fans are screaming, everybody's screaming right now. And, and it's just been one of those years where a lot of teams aren't quite playing as well um, as they had hoped. Even, you know, Tampa Bay at the All-Star break had lost six of its last seven and, and Baltimore's right on their heels right now. So um, 
but uh, but I do think it's been they have underperformed a little bit and and uh, you know Alec Manoa obviously didn't have the first half that he would like um, an encouraging final start before or an encouraging return for him the Friday night game in Detroit hopefully if he can just keep them in games in the second half that's a big help give him a chance to win half of his starts and then offensively it's been discussed and discussed and discussed um, you know, a few guys haven't done as well as you would like. And also there's kind of been a general, not, not quite team-wide, but a lot of guys on the team just haven't hit as well with runners in scoring position. So you look at some of the raw numbers, the slugging and the OPS and all that, it doesn't add up to as many runs as we thought it would add up to. So, uh, can they make the playoffs? Sure. Um, I'm not sure when this is going to come out, but as you and I speak, uh, on the Monday of the all-star break, they're in the second wildcard spot in, in the American league. Um, they could easily make the playoffs. And if they make the playoffs, they've got as good a shot as anybody, I think, because they've got good starting pitching, uh, a good bullpen. Uh, you, you know, but I I think for this team to reach its ultimate goals, you know, win a couple of rounds, make a World Series, maybe even win a World Series, they need collectively to, to pick up their game. I don't think this is a blockbuster trade kind of season okay. for the Blue Jays. Yeah, I, I think this is, you know, maybe they go out and get a right-handed bat or something with some thump to come off the bench and pinch hit. But I think it's about, you know, five, six, seven guys just doing a little bit more than they did in the first half, and and hopefully that's enough. And and with that, obviously, uh, you, you mentioned Blue Jays' Twitter. They Definitely Vladdy has been discussed all, on and on uh, in, in Blue Jays' Twitter. And I know you talked about how he's actually been pretty good the past, you know, this year, but also the past couple of weeks and hitting better with runners in scoring position. Uh, maybe just tell us what you think of kind of seen Vladdy day in and day out. Maybe what should Blue Jays fans kind of expect from him going into the end of the season and maybe why you think he's maybe slumping a little bit for, you know, such a high standard that he's had when in 2021, where he, he probably wins MVP if it isn't for Shohei Hotani. Right. So 2021, there's no doubt he benefited a little bit from Buffalo and Dunedin. Now, he still had an incredible year. It's not like if you take away Buffalo Dunedin, uh, he's having a bad year. He's still having an incredible year, but it does boost the num- did boost the numbers a little bit. I thought in April of this year, he was great. I yeah. thought his process was great. His ability to lay off pitches was great. He just tried to hit the ball as hard as he could, wherever it was pitched. Uh, and then at some point, I think that maybe the fact that the home runs weren't coming quite as much as he wanted them to, I think he changed. I think he chased a little bit more. I think he tried to lift the ball a little bit more. I think he tried to pull the ball a little bit more. I don't know that that works for him. He's so gifted that his floor is higher than most guys' ceiling, even at the major league level. You know, what's his floor? 800 OPS? That's 70 points above major league average. It, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but, I, it, you know, we haven't since April – you know, three days here, four days there where you say, oh, here it is. Here here he goes. But then it kind of, you know, he's had his peaks and valleys. I, I don't know what to expect. I, I I really don't. I do think there's more in there. But I, I think for uh, him to, to reach his peak, he's got to stay with his process and just, um, you know, just hit, hit the hardest line drive he can hit and see what happens. I, I don't think it should be about home runs for Vladdy. As you said, though, he has been actually really good with runners in scoring position. He and Bichette have easily been the two best. There are other guys whose numbers are very, very low in those situations, but Vladdy's not one of them. So when he has, I know it feels like he hits a million ground balls and do more, do more, do more. Um, 
but he's actually done a really good job with runners in scoring position. I, I don't know exactly how many RBIs he has, 57 or 58 or something. Like, you know, if you're hitting 275 with 13 homers at the all-star break and you've driven in 58 runs or whatever it is, you're obviously doing a pretty good job. Like he could drive in a hundred runs this year. So, but he is a victim of his own talent in that people will always want more unless he puts up that kind of a year that he had two years ago. I don't know if it's going to happen this year. Like we're already like 60% of the way through the season almost. Uh, maybe it will. Maybe it'll come next year. Maybe he'll wind up just being a very good player instead of a you know Hall of Famer or historically great player. I don't know. I wonder like everybody else does because you see it in glimpses and the glimpses are so exciting. You just want to see it all the time. And with that, obviously, his his kind of partner in crime on 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 uh, in hitting Bo Bichette has been amazing this year. The the Jays' best hitter. He's you know lower swing rate. What what do you think just has made him so effective this year compared to past years where you're still really good, but this year he's just uh, yeah. been outstanding. I think he's kind of an outlier. Uh, like if you had a ten year old kid who was really good at baseball, I don't think you'd teach him to hit like Bo Bichette. I don't think you could do that. I don't think many people can hit like Bo Bichette, except for Bo Bichette. I, and I think Bo decided kind of midway through last year, I know who I am. I know what works for me. I think before that, he was trying to do what everybody else was telling him to do. Well, take you swing too much. Take this pitch. Take that pitch. It's 0-2 too much. Take this pitch. Take that pitch. Um, and I, I think Bo was kind of caught in between doing what he wanted to do to please the coaches or whomever it was and doing what felt right to him. And I think at some point last year in August, he just said, I'm going to do what works for me. And then September, he was a monster. Like, I don't know if you remember his yeah. September. It was, it was insane. Um, and I think he's just, see, Bo is a guy who stays with his process. Like people may not agree with his process, but he stays with it. You don't, you don't ever see Bo. I don't, with rare exceptions this year, you don't see Bo say, uh, do something. And then you go, Boy, that's different, or that's not like Bo. Like, Bo's Bo. Everybody knows who Bo Bichette is. He knows what he wants to do with the plate. He is mentally disciplined um, to the nth degree, and he's been doing what he thinks works for him. And judging by the fact that he's an all-star and leading the American League in hitting and, and uh, you know, putting up all kinds of good numbers, I think he knows what he's doing. And and with that, obviously, the, the Jays – bullpen has been much maligned for the past couple of years i think they're fifth in era this year the the team pitching is about ninth i think in era just what do you make of it seems as though this team's pitching at the best level it's had in in the past couple of years under flatty and and bichette kind of era and and what do you think's kind of changed because they haven't changed uh, dramatically the team other than a couple players and, and especially in the bullpen where they, they brought in swanson but not huge huge additions yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Swanson is a very nice addition. Uh, Tim Mays is quietly having a great year. Nate Pearson's a big leaguer now. You know, um, maybe he's not the frontline starter everybody wanted him to be or the closer everybody wanted him to be, but he's a viable reliever now. I think I think that he has helped. Um, the biggest thing to me, though, is that Kikuchi and especially Barrios are better than they were last year i think kikuchi's always going to have his ups and downs some days he'll be great some days he'll have trouble throwing strikes some days he'll get a lot of swing and miss and some days he'll give up some rockets but he's better than last year i think we can all agree on that yeah. just keeping them in game and barrios is noticeably better than last year he looks very much like the jose barrios that he was for six years before last year and and i think those are the two big differences you know last year they had two spots in the rotation they they just didn't know what they were going to get 
um, every five days. So the pitching is good. There's always room for improvement. Um, hopefully Hyunjin Ryu can come back and help. Hopefully Chad Green can come back and help. Those would be two nice additions. You know, it's a cliche, but it's almost like those are your trade deadline acquisitions if those guys show up the 1st of August. Uh, and that gives them depth in case somebody is struggling or somebody gets hurt. So um, it's, you know, I think the starting rotation, especially if Manoa is just okay, the starting rotation is very good. The bullpen is good. Um, you know, there's still sometimes where you'd like to see come, and, and this is where Pearson can be so important. You know, when Nate Pearson's really on and he comes out firing a hundred and getting swings and misses in the seventh or eighth inning of a close game, that's cool. And Eric Swanson's had a great year. He just had to work a ton in the first half. So the bullpen is better. I don't know that it's an elite bullpen, but they're if you go back and look at some of the names who pitched for this team last year and even more so in 2021, the bullpen is better now. It's good enough to get them to the playoffs. In the playoffs? Yeah. Who knows? Small sample, short series, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, no, for sure. And I want to ask you before I, I go to, to the senior men's national team, just a bit about what have you thought of the tenure of Atkins and Shapiro? Obviously, they've been here for, for six, seven years now. And, you know, they the team hasn't won a playoff game, right? And, I mean, I think by now most fans would have at least expected that. So what do you make of, of their tenure? And maybe how long of a leash do you think they have from the team just going forward if, if the Jays continue to, to lose early in the playoffs? Right. Well, I think the 2016 postseason goes on their ledger. So, yeah. right? Yeah. I believe they took – I believe That's they took, had taken over. Yeah, you're right. So yeah. – um, I felt they were unfairly maligned at the beginning by the fan base because you had a bunch of older guys making a lot of money and they had like, there wasn't a future for that nucleus. These guys were 35, 36, 37. They had to tear it down. Uh, and it was painful. And, you know, they took a lot of, a lot of grief for, it, and I thought some of it was, was unfair since then. Um, I think they've had some, you know, to borrow baseball terms, some swings and some misses. Some stuff's worked out great. Uh, Kevin Gosman's worked out great. They could have re-signed Robbie Ray, right? And uh, he's missing all of this year with Tommy John. Um, but so Tanner Roark didn't work out so well. You know, they're, they're, I, I think it's been hot and cold, and I think they're trying, and, and ownership is spending more than they ever have, which is good. Um, but you know, and I think a lot of fans would agree with me, the last two years, 21 and 22, it does feel like they should have won that old, they should have won more games than they did. I think of this era, the last three, four years, the 2021 team was the best team they had. Okay. But the bullpen really, really hurt them that year. Uh, and it wasn't so much that it hurt them late, but it cost them so many games early mm. that didn't make the playoffs. They got to the last day and didn't make the playoffs. But I think had they made the playoffs in 21, who knows what they might have been able to do. So I think this past offseason, they made a more obvious, conscious effort to shore up some of the things that were clearly a problem. Bullpen, swing and miss, defense, and lineup balance. Uh, Varsho, Kiermaier, Belt, you know, the lefties coming in, Varsho and Kiermaier improving the defense of the base running, that sort of thing. Unfortunately, like it's worked out, but it hasn't worked out perfectly. Varsho's a better hitter than he's shown. He's still doing an incredible job defensively and on the yeah. bases. Uh, you know, they need him to hit a little bit more. Kiermaier's been great. Belt after the very cold start. He's been Brandon Belt. He's been exactly yeah. what you think you're going to get when you get Brandon Belt. So 
Um, the lineup has more balance. I don't think it has perfect balance, but it has more balance. The defense is, um, you know, unquestionably a lot better. So I think they went out and shored up some of their weaknesses. I think the reason they're not winning more, again, is some of the guys they've had aren't having the same kind of year. Vladdy's not having the same kind of year. Springer didn't at the beginning. He is the last six, seven weeks or so, but he didn't at the beginning. Kirk is not having the same kind of year. Um, you know, there are a couple of others as well, but th those are some of the names that come to mind right away. So um, I, I'm not into giving letter grades or anything like that. But but for this front office, I would say so, some stuff has worked out. Some stuff hasn't. I don't think they get credit for the stuff that has worked out um, maybe as much as they should, because I think some people were just early on predisposed to being opposed to them or disliking them or disliking the moves or whatever. But, um, you know, they're they're trying. They They've signed Ryu, Springer, Gosman, Barrios. Like they, they've gone out there and and I mean they traded for Barrios, but then they signed him yeah. to the extension. And then Bassett, and they've done stuff at the trade deadline. Like they are trying. Um, but uh, I, I I think if the farm system had been able to produce a little bit more the last couple of years, it, it kind of feels like there's a gap now, right yeah. after the. Uh, uh, Guerrero, Bichette, Biggio into Manoa, Kirk. Uh, you know, since then there's been a gap of a year or two, and it doesn't appear like there's a ton of AAA. That that's a that's an issue too. You always want that next wave coming. So um, you know that can turn around. Maybe some of the guys who aren't having great years will figure it out. But but I, I think the easiest thing for me to say is some swings and some misses so far. Yeah. So. Well, hopefully uh, they they make a big push at the end of the year and maybe make the playoffs and maybe you're. Uh you know, covering a world series in Toronto. And uh, I mean, Hope so. I, think, I, I think should say some hits and some misses, I guess yeah. a swing is not what that yeah, was. Not yeah, the exactly. Before I let you go, I just want to ask you about the senior men's national team. I also heard that you have like an out clause in your contract to go to the Olympics. Is that, I don't know if that's true, if they qualify, <laughs> which I think is just like the coolest thing. Um, but maybe just tell us a little bit about maybe your affinity for the, the senior men's national team and, how you you feel about them going into the World Cup this summer with a new coach, Jordi Hernan uh, Fernandez, sorry, um, and obviously Nick Nurse is gone, and I think we'll find out this week kind of who's going to be playing. So maybe just tell us a bit about uh, what you think about this team and and uh, and hopefully you being in Paris in 2024. Yeah, so I well, I've always, I mean, I love Canada and I love basketball, so I've always loved Canada basketball, and I and what you're referring to is the all those years when I did baseball for ESPN I had a clause in my contract that said if the Canadian men qualified for the Olympics I could miss a couple of weeks of ESPN baseball to do the Olympics yes. um as you know they never did that so um I did do the Olympics two years ago when they were in Tokyo yeah. I was in Toronto but I did sorry that's my dog barking she wants in the, okay. she wants in but okay. um I, I did the men's and the women's basketball for CBC two years ago when they were in uh, Tokyo. Uh, yeah. We did it remotely. It was still, you, you know, the height of COVID kind of. So we did it remotely from the CBC studios uh, here in Toronto. Um, I did the Victoria qualifier. I did the uh, ill-fated one when they lost to Venezuela a few years ago when the last chance tournament, uh, yeah. the controversial one. So. You know, I, I I I think I've actually done a little bit more Canada basketball stuff maybe than um, than, than people realize. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. Um, it's it's not my place to announce uh, my involvement in future events, so I'll wait for the people who like to make the announcements make the announcement. But um, 
Yeah. I'm excited and uh and I'm bullish on the on the senior men's team too. I know they've had the coaching changes you said from Nick Nurse to Jordy Fernandez. Um Nick Nurse a fantastic coach. Jordy Fernandez very highly thought of uh connections to Jamal Murray uh which never hurts. So uh, and, and to me it all starts with Shea Gilgis Alexander. I mean he, he he's kind of become the face of the program and yeah. he's in. <laughs> and again I'm not sure when this is going to air but I think we're going to know who's at training camp pretty soon. Um and when you get Shea you get an all-star caliber player. You get his cousin Nikhil Alexander Walker who's <laughs> really good. You know um there's just so much depth now. Uh, it, it, it used to be, is Corey Joseph playing? Is Tristan Thompson playing? And those were the, like the only two guys. Um, now you've got Lugans door. You you've got Corey Joseph, if you want to, but you've got so many guards, an incredible number of guards that some very, very good players, some NBA players are not going to be on this team because there's just not that much room for them. Obviously RJ Barrett will be there as you and I speak. I don't know about Andrew Wiggins or Dylan Brooks. Yeah. I think Dwight Powell is there. I think, I know Kelly Olynyk is going to be there. They need a little more, more size. I think Zach Eady will be on the team as like the third big if they're playing anybody at the World Cup who's got a 7-3 guy or yeah. something like that. Um, I'm excited. I'm bullish. And it would really, really, really be nice if they found a way to qualify for the Olympics out of the World Cup. Like you want to do as well as you can at the World Cup because that's a huge event, obviously. But just as big, if not bigger, is can you qualify for the Olympics? They don't want to go to a last chance tournament in June of next year uh, like they've had to do the last couple of times that's asking for trouble. You got six countries, you got to win it. Um, you know, look what happened last time. I, I mean, it looked like they were set up to win it. Yeah. And uh, the Czechs beat them, right? Yeah. The, yeah, Czechs yeah. Beat them the game winner yeah. by um, Sadoransky and yeah. Yeah. That's right. After they'd made this big comeback, Canada made this big comeback and then, and then he hit the shot. So um, it, it won't be easy as always seems to be the case there. They've got a, a tough draw. They're in one of the two groups of death, to, to borrow a FIFA term. But, uh, you know, at some point, you just got to say, go win. Like, you've got the talent, no excuses, go win. And, and for them to qualify for people who don't know, I'm sure you know, they've got to be one of the top two America's teams in terms of the final placement. There are 32 countries there, and I think there are seven America's teams. So right. they've got to be one of, the, one of the best two. The USA is very good. It's a younger USA team. But it kind of feels like the nucleus of this team is the Olympic team, maybe not next year, but four years, you know, four years later. Like they've got some great young players. You don't want to concede anything to the U.S., but if they are going to be great, Canada's got to do better than Argentina, Brazil, Puerto Rico, Venezuela. And the, I'm sorry, Argentina's not there. I forgot. Yeah, Argentina's got to do better than Brazil, Dominican, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Mexico. Yeah. So they they're in a group with France, Latvia and Lebanon. Uh, France apparently will not have Wembenyama and will not have Embiid. Got to go beat France. Uh, Got to come out three and zero, so you um, you know have a good record heading into the second round. It all carries over. So um, I'm I'm excited. It is something I I have enjoyed from afar. Um, I've been able to call a little bit, and I, I'm excited about where things might go in the next couple of years. What do you think it would mean for for basketball in this country if, if the men's team? finally made the Olympics and, and did well and maybe meddled because they have that kind of talent, especially with the women being so successful. So for so many years yeah. and making coming forth at the FIBA world championships last year. And just what do you yeah, think it'd mean yeah. for basketball in this country? Well, I think it would be awesome to see both the men and, and the women 
playing, say, in a semifinal game at the Olympics. You know, so knowing that even if you lose, then you're still playing for a medal and you've got a chance to be on the podium. And, and the women are closer right now because they've ha- they have a history of placing higher than the men. But specifically to answer your question about the men, and I've told this to people in the industry and out, if the men make the Olympics, I think the television ratings are going to be ridiculous off the charts. I, I think a lot of people, and, and I know because I know friends of mine who love the Raptors and love basketball, and they're like, World Cup? When is that? Yeah. Where is that? What does that mean? You know, there's still a lot of that. But if they qualify for the Olympics, um, everybody will know who's on the team and everybody will have 10 months or whatever it is to get excited about it. I think a lot of people are still conditioned to, well, the best guys don't play. And hopefully this is the opportunity to break through that. If they do make the Olympics and start doing well, I think basketball is going to be right up there with track and swimming and gymnastics is the biggest events uh, at the Olympics. I, I think people from coast to coast to coast are going to tune in in droves to, to watch them play because like, like a, a, you know, it's, imagine if they got, if the semifinals were the U.S., I'm just making it up, the U.S., France, Spain, and Canada. How cool is that? You know, and... For USA, Canada, like right. semifinal it, or something. Yeah. yeah, it's possible. It's not a given. It may not even be a likelihood, but it's possible. But it all starts um, in the Philippines and uh, in, in Indonesia, I guess, more specifically, Um uh, in a few, in a couple of months. So, but I, I think it would be a huge deal, but if they can qualify out of the world cup, then they've got 10 months of momentum. And then there's no, well, is this guy going to play next year? Will he go to a last chance tournament in June? And what if his team does well in the playoffs in the NBA, but you know, they just got to find a way to qualify in the world cup. And then I, I think they're rolling after that. Well, Dan, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Really cool for me to for for you to come on the show. And I just want to give you the floor. Is there anything fans should expect from you on Jay's broadcast or anything else the the rest of the year that uh, yeah. people should stay tuned for? Yeah, no, just me being me. I'm I'm blessed to have this job, and and I just like people knowing I'm Canadian, and I'm you know I was a I was at Jay's games as a kid, and I'm invested in not only the franchise but the fan base, and I love 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 knowing that people in Newfoundland are watching and people in Victoria are watching, you know, the Jays are going to Seattle in a couple of weeks. That's one of my favorite things every year to see, you know, 30,000 Jays fans down there. And believe me, I cannot go out to get a coffee or a bagel without bumping into hundreds of them. They are everywhere (laughs) in Seattle. It's a complete takeover. And uh, I just want to give a shout out to the fans. The Blue Jays have unbelievable fans and uh, we, we at Sportsnet all feel it. We are, uh, you know, we are very aware of of how much this team means to people across the country. And and hopefully that shows in what we put into the broadcast. Well, Dan, thanks so much for for taking the time and doing this. I really appreciate it. And I hope they go deep in the playoffs and uh, it'll be a fun ride. And then also with Canada basketball, hopefully they uh, qualify the, for the World Cup next month. So thanks so much again for, for doing this. I really appreciate it and have a great uh, rest of your summer. All right, Alex, thanks very much.